Good morning, Elevation. My name is Melody. I'm on the pastoral team here, and I have the opportunity to share with us this morning as we continue in our summer series on the Psalms. Over the last number of weeks, we've been walking through various Psalms, this ancient collection of prayers and songs, uh, in hopes that we can expand our vocabulary of prayer and uh, perhaps find an invitation uh, to come to God with the fullness of our human experience and in all of our emotions. So remember back with me, if you will, to the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020. Basically overnight, life was turned on its head and we were staying at home and there was all this unknown about this mysterious virus. I remember how that feeling of unknown and uncertainty was so disorienting at the beginning. I was living at my parents' farm and I was adjusting to taking my classes online. And I remember how um, each day kind of felt the same, like there weren't discernible markers of time and all my rhythms were, were gone. And, um, and so I wanted to pray, um, but I was really distracted and not able to focus. And so I began this um, rhythm of a morning walk down to this little creek near the farm. And I would stand beside the creek and I would recite Psalm 23. There's something really significant for me about speaking these words um, while standing beside the water while it felt like the world was falling apart. It, it grounded me. A year later, I came back to this psalm, and um, it was a really difficult season for me with my mental health, and I was uncovering a depth of anxiety that I had never experienced before, and in a particularly difficult time uh, when I was experiencing some panic attacks, I came to these words of this psalm as kind of a mantra. Um, as I was learning alongside the help of a really wonderful therapist, uh, how to ride that wave of anxiety. This mantra, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Once again, these words were really grounding, anchoring me in God's character, even in the face of crippling fear and anxiety. This summer, I've come back to this psalm again, um, praying it as part of my morning prayer. And I've been pondering what it means that if I truly believe um, that God is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Uh, there's an invitation I'm finding here to a really deep trust, to live out of a grounded sense of who God is, the shepherd, and to live out of my belovedness as one who is protected and guided and provided for and pursued by goodness and unfailing love. Psalm 23 is arguably the most well-known psalm, and in fact is one of the most well-known passages in all of scripture, and so I can almost guarantee that you're at least somewhat familiar with it. The challenge with well-known passages is that we know what it says, and so we think that we know what it means, and so it can be hard to come to it with an open heart and open mind. This has been a challenge for me. This is a psalm that I would have memorized as a little child, and so when I even hear those first lines, my mind can just fill in the rest of the psalm without hardly thinking about it. 
But as I've been sitting with this psalm over the last few years, I'm discovering that there's so much depth and meaning packed into these few verses. And so I'm gonna invite us to face this challenge of familiarity head on this morning uh, as we dive into this psalm and open ourselves to what God would like to say to us through it. So we start at the beginning with verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This psalm begins with a beautiful and bold statement. The Lord Yahweh is my shepherd and I shall not want. I actually prefer the way that this verse is translated in the New Living Translation. Um, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Um, this, I shall not want, is not like a, I shall not want, like a commanding um, statement, but rather a statement of deep trust and confidence and contentment. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. What is the role of a shepherd? Well, the shepherd guides the sheep uh, to food and water. He watches over them and protects them from danger and predators. Um, the shepherd tends to the sheep when they're injured or ill, um, moves them to a new place when uh, maybe the grass and their pasture is all eaten up or if there's bad weather coming. The shepherd guides and protects the sheep. And this verse starts by proclaiming that God, Yahweh, is my shepherd. It makes me wonder, okay, what other shepherds might there be? What other shepherds am I tempted to look to? What else do I trust for guidance and for protection and for security or provision? There are a lot of things. So this verse invites me to come back to actually, the Lord is my shepherd. In verse 2, we see, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Here, the imagery of the shepherd and the sheep is expanded. The shepherd leads the sheep to a green pasture or a meadow. I didn't grow up around sheep, although we do have some at my parents' farm now, but um, I did grow up around cows. And this picture of sheep lying down in a green pasture or in a meadow reminds me of looking out uh, onto the pasture outside the barn uh, at, at my parents' house um, and seeing the cows lying down in the field, contentedly chewing their cud and the beautiful spring day as the breeze is, is uh, blowing through. And it's beautiful, beautiful image. For cows and for sheep as well, um, a pasture is, is a place of food. Um, and so this image of sheep lying down suggests that they've been fed. Uh, they're not hungry, they're not eating, they've had their fill, they're content. And they're not worrying about when their next meal is coming. Um, they're, they're satisfied, they're content. Then we read, he leads me beside still waters. Here is the image of rest. I don't know what it is about sitting beside water, um, but it always speaks something deep and restorative and restful into my soul. And here the shepherd is inviting the sheep uh, to contentment and to rest. We move on to verse 30. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but there are some helpful tools out there that can help us to kind of unpack what some of these Hebrew words um, mean, what their essence is. And I think uh, particularly with a, a passage like this that is so familiar to us, um, that can be really helpful in kind of deepening or expanding our understanding of the psalm. And so here we, um, though the word restores um, actually has the connotation of like returning. So a sense of God refreshing me and returning me to who I really am. I think that there are so many voices in our society that are trying to tell us things about ourselves, about who we are, or what's good or bad about us, whether we're successful or not, what the measures are, how we stack up to others, etc., etc. And I think that as I'm journeying through life, I'm discovering that as I can settle into who I am and who I am not, um, and can confidently acknowledge that who God has made me is good, that's when I can live with a restored soul, with joy and authenticity and with generosity. When I'm connected to who God says that I am, then I can breathe deeply. And so I don't think it's any accident that this restoration of soul, this returning to my true self comes alongside rest in the previous verse. So yeah, maybe maybe find an invitation there this morning to, to be led to green pastures and still waters so that God can restore our souls. Then we read, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Sometimes struggle with this word righteousness uh, because it's a little bit of like Christianese, um, and I'm not always entirely sure what it means. But Steve talked about righteousness a few weeks ago when he walked us through Psalm 85, and he defined righteousness as right living. This Hebrew word is translated in other places as justice or fair or accurate or right. So there's this sense of like moral rightness as part of this right living, and then also this sense of like walking in justice and, and, uh, and fairness. So notice the order here we have at the beginning, God is acknowledged as our shepherd, a provider. Then the psalmist is led to rest and restoration. And then um, from that place of communing with God, um, He's led into action, into right living, into the paths of justice. So our, our, our actions, our words, um, our, our work for justice, these all flow out of our communion with God. Then we move on to verse 4, where we find the tone changes as the psalmist turns to face uh, the realities of life that we do not always live in green pastures or by still waters. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice that he says, even though, not if, but even though I walk through uh, the, the dark valleys. These dark valleys are a given. 
And yet the psalmist says confidently, I will not be afraid of anything evil, of anything bad. And why? Because God is there. I also noticed that the psalmist changes from speaking about God in the third person to addressing God directly. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This strikes me as a shift to more relational intimacy in the face of something really difficult. I actually noticed myself doing this with Josh the other day when we were um, hanging out with some friends. Um, I was telling them about some things going on in our life or in our life and um, was talking about Josh who's sitting beside me in the third person as I was talking to them. But as I started talking about something more challenging, my posture actually shifted and I turned more towards Josh and started addressing him as you instead of him. And it was almost as if I was like instinctually turning towards this relationship of safety and security as I recounted something difficult. I see this playing out in this psalm. The psalmist begins by talking about God in the third person. Maybe it's the declaration of trust and confidence to others. But as the psalmist starts to confront the difficult things of life, the dark valleys, he turns to address God directly, saying, I will not fear, for you are with me. This is a beautiful statement of trust and confidence in God's protection and presence and of of an intimacy, a relational or a relationality that's there. Then the psalmist talks about your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For the shepherd, a rod or a club was a weapon to protect the sheep from predators. The staff was a tool to guide them or correct them, pull them back if they were going the wrong way. And so here the psalmist is finding comfort in God's protection and God's guidance. Here again is an expression of deep trust and confidence in God as the shepherd. In verse five, we read, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Here we have an image uh, or an image of unlikely hospitality, a feast in the presence of enemies. I'm struck by the trust and confidence, again, that the psalmist has in God to protect him, that he would actually sit down and presumably like put down his weapons or defenses in order to eat this feast that God had laid out. I listened to a podcast that was exploring this psalm, and one of the podcasters suggested that there could maybe be another interpretation of this verse. Um, perhaps this table in the presence of enemies is also an invitation to seek reconciliation. Is the psalmist eating in front of the enemies in like a triumphant way, like kind of a ha-ha, here I am? <laughs> Or is he actually inviting the enemies to eat with him? To show hospitality to someone with whom we disagree is a really powerful gesture. I just want to note that when we talk about these kinds of things, we're not talking about abusive or dangerous relationships. Here, I'm thinking about what it means for us to extend hospitality to an other. Um, as God shows generous, hospitality, unlikely hospitality to us, 
we can also extend that generosity and hospitality to others. First goes on to say, you anoint my head with oil. Uh, these same podcasters that I was referring to pointed out that this word anoint maybe doesn't mean what we uh, might typically think, kind of commissioning or naming or appointing someone. Um, but rather the word is translated in other places as prosperous or grow or fat or drips, which I think is really interesting. There's this sense of like luxury and pampering. Um, as they were talking, the image that actually comes to my mind is when I go to um, the salon to get my hair cut and they wash my hair and then they give like the head massage <laughs> and and it's just this like luxury care, luxurious care, I guess. And so the podcaster suggested maybe you could say you massage my head with oil might be maybe an appropriate way to think about this An interesting image anyways. And then my cup overflows. There is no fear of scarcity here. The psalmist is secure in God's provision, um, God's protection, and he experiences that as abundance. In our world that is always afraid of not having enough, here we see an expression of deep trust in the sufficiency of God's provision. And then we come to verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So again, some Hebrew, um, goodness is the word tov. So for those of you who have been tracking with us in our summer learning community this summer on the book, A Church Called Tov, you will be familiar with this word. Tov, which means goodness, is used all over the scripture to describe God, to describe people, to describe things. And so in, in the book that we've been reading, Scott McKnight and Laura Beringer, who are the authors, they give us some examples trying to kind of flesh this out for us um, so that we can understand what this word means. And they point to the creation narrative at the beginning of Genesis. They say, light is tov, land is, and sea are tov, plants are tov, day and night are tov, sea animals and birds are tov, land animals are tov. And then on the seventh day, God saw all that he had made and it was very tov. So everything God created is tov. And when everything is spoken and accomplished, when all the intricate harmonies are formed, God's glory echoes through all creation. Tov, mead, very good, very well done, perfect, harmony, what a masterpiece. All these English terms and more are found in the word tov. As we've been working through a church called Tov, I'm so captivated by this word, Tov, goodness. And here in this song, we find it and, and we're hearing that God's goodness, God's Tov will follow us for our whole life. That's so amazing. Also says mercy, mercy, which can be translated also kindness or faithfulness or the New Living Translation um, says it as unfailing love will follow us. And this word follow has more of an active meaning than like passively following along. It could be translated as pursue or even dog, 
which brings to my mind um, like like the the verb dog, um, not the noun dog, which brings to my mind the picture of a dog intently following a scent that it has picked up and is trying to track down. So let's think about this picture. God's goodness, God's tov, God's faithfulness is doggedly pursuing us our whole life. Goodness and mercy, these things are part of God's very being, God's essence. And so as we trust in God as our shepherd, as we're in relationship with the good shepherd, we are pursued doggedly by God's goodness, mercy, faithfulness, kindness, unfailing love. So profound. And then we come to the final line of this psalm. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This speaks to me of belonging and security. The psalmist knows where his home is, where he ultimately belongs. So the psalm is a very personal one, a lot of first-person language, and it's describing an individual's relationship with God. However, as I've been thinking about this more, I think the image of sheep actually um, brings it into community because sheep are communal animals. They move as a group um, and they're part of a flock. And these are kind of like inherent characteristics to sheep. And so while the shepherd does watch over the sheep individually, the sheep are inherently part of the collective. And this is also true for us. So I wonder what it means for us to think about this psalm collectively, communally, to say, the Lord is our shepherd. We have all that we need. What does it mean for the shepherd to lead our community, to lie down in green pastures, to lead us beside still waters, to restore our collective soul? What would it look like in this season for God to lead us in paths of righteousness, of justice, for God's name's sake? Can we say that even though we walk through dark valleys, we won't be afraid because God is with us? God's rod and staff comfort us. God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies and anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. What difference would it make for us to proclaim together that surely God's goodness, God's tov, and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, and we will, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we wrap up this part of our time together, uh, I'd like to invite you to engage with me in an ancient spiritual practice. Uh, Lectio Divina is Latin for divine or spiritual reading, and it's a way of interacting with scripture, um, allowing the words to wash over us and inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the text. I've also heard someone describe Lectio Divina as um, a way of allowing the, te the text to read us, and I really love that image of, of kind of bringing our lives to the text and allowing those words to kind of speak things back to us. So as we've spent some time this morning walking through this psalm on a more cerebral level, this practice invites us to take it from our head to our heart and into our lives. So you're gonna hear this psalm three times during the Lectio, um, and I'm going to give you a prompt each time. Um, 
like for each reading as you hear it, that will help you kind of sit with this, with the passage and listen to the whispers um, that God might be saying to you this morning. I'm going to be using some prompts that were introduced to me by a pastor in Vancouver named Nelson Boschman. So thanks Nelson for these. I just really like this language that he uses. So wherever you are this morning, I invite you to get comfortable. You can maybe close your eyes if you feel okay about doing that. And we'll take a deep breath together, slowly inhaling and slowly exhaling. Triune God, we acknowledge that you are are here with us and are in this space with us wherever we are. And so we invite you to uh, speak to us. Pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, quiet us, that we may hear uh, anything that you'd like to say to us by your spirit. So as I read this the first time, the word is image. What word, phrase, or image stands out to you? Sometimes it feels like um, an idea kind of is highlighted off the page for you. And so just pay attention if there's something uh, and sit with that. And if not, that's okay too. So what word, phrase, or image stands out to me? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to read the psalm again, and this time the prompt is intersection. How does that word or image or phrase that may have kind of been highlighted for you the first time, how does that intersect with your life? I'll read again from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as we hear this text one last time, the word is invitation. What is the invitation that God is presenting to me and how will I respond? From Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Thanks for being willing to try that with me this morning. My challenge for us this week is to continue to sit with Psalm 23. Perhaps you can find a moment at the beginning of your day to go outside, maybe on your porch, or maybe sit beside a window uh, and recite this, this psalm out loud. Or maybe before you go to bed, you can find a quiet corner of the house to slip, uh, slip off to you and you can speak these words out loud as a prayer can be a little exercise in grounding ourselves in who God is as our shepherd. And that I really do believe will give us what we need for whatever comes our way, both individually and as a collective. So grace and peace to you this week. <laughs>